think you're smart, huh? Well, the guy that hired Hughes, he'll just do the same to you. Oh, criminals in this town used to believe in things. Honor. Respect. Look at you. What do you believe in, huh? What do you believe in? I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you a stranger. Hello again, everybody, and welcome one more time to Retro Review with Rob and Terry. I am Rob. This is Terry. And we are bringing you episode 66, and with the opening lines that we hear from the Joker in this movie, you know that we are doing The Dark Knight. Terry. Finally. We have danced around this movie almost from the beginning of this podcast. It has been brought up probably more than any other movie that we've talked about. I would think so, because it's just epic. It's amazing. We're probably going to go long on this podcast, but I don't care. I got a feeling. That is an iconic introduction to the Joker. I mean, it's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, when we get into it, we're just going to just gush over how much we love this movie. Oh, it's yeah, just so sure. good. So good. We've got lots of good things to say about it. It is, uh, it is one of, I say this a lot, this is upper echelon for me. Oh, yeah. I was I, thinking about this today. I think this is a top ten. This is a top ten for sure. This might be a top five. I, I exactly the same thing. I was thinking top five, top ten at the worst. Yep. And Terry, I had an idea to run at you in front of our listening audience. We've got nine episodes after this one because this is episode number sixty-six. That's right. We've got nine episodes to get to seventy-five. For our seventy-fifth. Hmm episode i propose we do this thing each of us the entire episode is dedicated to each of our top 25 our top our 25? top 25 our top 25 movies we force ourselves to make the list and we discuss it and defend it with each other for the entire episode for episode number 75 okay i'll have to start working on that yeah we're gonna need a little time I give this, what, like a little over two months to hammer out our top 25 lists. And, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see where we fall. What, 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 yeah. what to make the list. Um, I'm sure, you know, it's not going to be hard to predict several of them, but I think it'll be interesting to see where where they line up. What what movies make our top five, what top ten, break it on down, that 25th movie, all the way down to 25. I think that's going to be a lot harder than it may sound. <laughs> Yeah. But I think it's we've talked about a lot of times what our, our favorite movies are. I think it's time to put our cards on the table. Yeah, I think so. Oh, man. 25. Yeah. It will take nine episodes, so nine weeks till we get there. So. Yeah, because it's going to be hard for me. There's going to be some cuts that have to be made that I'm going to get probably like... I'll feel emotional about it like I've, like I've wounded a friend. Yeah, I'm probably going to have Sarah help me work on this. And just... <laughs> You sure you want this movie over that one? Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, 66 Terry, Dark Knight, a classic. But before we get to that, we are going to go through some rants and raves. Terry, do you have any rants this week? Yeah, last week uh, I was talking about it was a rant and a rave that I, I got a pool, you know, so it's pretty fun, man. We got that pool all put together after a lot of backbreaking, shoveling, digging, moving stuff around. And then we get the water filled in there, and the color of the pool had like a green tint to it, which it's not supposed to. (laughs) 
So you go research anything online. There's a hundred different opinions on the matter, and nobody's right, and everybody else is wrong, and it's maddening. <laughs> so uh, apparently my phosphate count is high, my alkalinity level is high, and I have to get those down before I can put chlorine in the pool to shock it officially, I guess they call it. And so it's just one thing after another. I thought the uh, water pump, the filter pump, uh, went down this afternoon. I was getting really irritated. <laughs> I was just like, this Man. thing's only been running for less than 24 hours. How is it already not working? And apparently the outlet outdoors, I guess, tripped for some reason. I don't know why. Anyhow, it's up and running right now. Still green, still stupid, collecting a little tiny bits of algae at the bottom of the pool that I get to vacuum up, you know. Being a pool owner, fun. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure once I get in a groove of it, it's fine. That's what everybody says. It's like the setup and getting the chemistry right is the hardest part. Once you got it, it's walk in the park after that, they say. I'm, I'm getting ready for that walk in the park. I'm waiting for it. I want it to get here soon. <laughs> if you really think about it, too, there's with... There really can't be a set answer because everybody's water is different. So, I mean, we were talking yeah. about chemistry. The chemistry of the tap water or whatever it is, your, wherever you got your water to fill it, mm-hmm. could be different than somebody who's even just 15 miles away. Yeah. I mean, apparently in Sunnyland, we're supposed to have relatively hard water and high different counts that are supposed to be in there. And there's this little strip test with like six different tests on it that I dip in there. And nothing's in range, so that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like a bummer. Yeah. My dad was like, oh, I filled it up. First time I filled it up, it was clear, and neighbors, and down the street, they all, it's always been clear. I've, I don't know, I've never heard of anybody having a green tent. I sent him a picture of him, and he's like, well, I guess it is green. <laughs> <laughs> what? what, do you think you're making it up? <laughs> yeah, so, it's dumb. Anyhow. I'm sorry to hear that, man. That's got to be hard on the kiddo, too, wanting to get in there and swim. It's stupid. <laughs> I got a couple of rants, too. One, well, I guess I'm going to call that a rave, but uh, a rant um, we had. You're not going to believe this, Terry. We have, a, we have a garage that's out on the back end of our yard, and it butts up against an alley. And it's not a nice garage. But it's, it's the ceiling. It looks like the surf coming in off the shore. It's all wavy. Uh, nah, we've never yeah. really used it for anything but storing our junk in since we moved in seven years ago. But we do keep our lawnmower back there. Yeah, we have two of them, two push mowers. One we had that got broken, and and so we bought a new one, and then we had the high school fix that one. So we've been. Joey goes out there to mow the other night, and somebody had gotten into the garage and stole the bar, the the bar that you press to to make the lawnmower go. Yeah, they stole it off the lawnmower. <laughs> they stole the bar off the handle lawnmower that you hold to let the the lawnmower uh, engage the cutter. And uh, they just stole it, it. It wasn't loose or anything? Nothing no. weird? No, they stole it. And then so Joey tried to rig the other one on it from the other mower. Just from the one. Just from the one mower, they stole it. So Joey tried to rig the other one from the other mower on, and they had to wedge it in place and try it, and then it just quit. So uh, we have to go buy a new lawnmower now. <laughs> That's cute. If I can make a recommendation, get one with a Honda motor on it. Uh, strong, really easy to start, reliable. Uh, I've had a couple different types of mowers over the years, and this is by far the easiest push mower. It's a little heavier, but it's got the self-propel, and 
yeah, it's got the twin blade. It's great. So I would, if you can, look into a Honda motor uh, and on your lawnmower. It'll be a price point discussion. <laughs> it's going to seal it for yeah. us. So yeah, I went up a little bit more than what I was expecting to pay for a regular lawnmower, but I was I'm glad I did because it's dude. I barely put like I'm about just a two year old could pull this thing start if they really okay. wanted to. It might be worth it. Especially yeah. since Joey's 18 now, and I'm going to have to mow the lawn again for a couple of years. Indeed. <laughs> so I lose my lawn mowing guy. That's what I'm saying. I want something easy. I don't want something that's going to break my back out there trying to start and rip on. I remember just really putting my foot on the engine and just ripping on it. Now it's just, <laughs> I could do it with my thumb and forefinger and start that thing. <laughs> I uh, I have another rant, Terry. I have, This okay. is a customer service related rant. Oh boy! I had to stop in at Walmart today after work to get a new uh, Ethernet cable because, as you can tell, and I guess for the purposes of our listen, well, I just came undone. Hold on, I just messed with it and it came undone. You see, I'll uh, say you said it was loose. It's just the port's loose, though, right? Yeah, I don't know what just happened here. Hold on. <laughs> uh oh. Anyway, the uh, so I bought an Ethernet cable. I had to buy a new one because of the fact that the heat outside. I uh, could not use my original Kiwani Studios. I had to relocate to the basement. So <laughs> Terry, you can see behind Terry can see behind me that I'm in the basement right now, and so I bought a cord that would reach from the modem all the way down to the basement. As I'm standing, I check out at Walmart, and I'm passing by the eyeglass store. I'm like, you know what? I have a loose I had a loose earpiece because well, the screw was still in there, but half of it had broken out. So I stopped in and said, hey, can, I, can you just give me the screw for this? Because I've got a little screwdriver at home. I can go ahead and pull this one out and put a new one in. He's like, oh, I'll just throw it in real quick for you right away. Now, Terry, can you see this if I put it up there? Oh, that's cute. It goes all the way through the frame. Yes. And she handed it back to me and says, I was afraid I was going to do some damage to it, so I just left it for you. You said you have the screwdriver at home. She said, once you get it all the way down, just uh, just snap off the bottom part. So I can't get it to go down any further because it's too big. It it's not a straight it's not the same size I don't think all the way through on the screw. So <laughs> now I have to deal with this until I can get to cuz Crystal had to go to work so I couldn't stick around and ask her to refix it or anything. I had to go. So now I've got to get this fixed. That's because fun. it's it's sharp like I could break skin just by touching it I did that. And it doesn't back up at all that you can't well, I'm afraid now that if I back it up, that it'll break or it'll break off the, and I won't be able to get. Won't be. I have to have my glasses. I don't have a backup pair right now. Yeah, that works. it works. Kind of bent. Yeah. So I mean, I did bend it because I was trying to. She like she said, snap it off because I was like, well, maybe if I just snap it off, you know, I'll just be able to. So it doesn't because this is sharp down here on the bottom. <laughs> and, oh boy. No. Nope. That's so that's cute. where I'm at right now. Isn't it nice? Don't you love that yeah. kind of stuff? Uh, F that. I know. <laughs> I'm glad I don't have glasses yet. Yes, I don't know if that, if that came across audio on with an audio only. That I have a basically, it looks like the screw that goes on the the earpiece that holds to the frame of my glasses. The screw is equal parts above and below where it's supposed to be, and it's obvious and it's sticking out. It's like if you oh, put, yeah. a, it's probably about a half centimeter out each direction from what I'm seeing. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And that's so, dumb. That's a hazard. Yeah, oh, I'm gonna adjust my glasses out. Yep. <laughs> so that was my other rant of this week. Terry, how about you? Did you have another rant besides the pool? Dude, well, to piggyback on the pool here, the heat, 
didn't help. <laughs> right, I'm sure. Today was nasty. Yesterday was nasty. Tomorrow's going to be, be nasty. Thursday, not much better. Tomorrow uh, we have a, a prediction of 106 degrees heat index. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, that ought to be a good one. No, it won't. Hate All right, well, let's let's so let's, impre- let's improve our uh, our our day today, Terry. What about raves? Did you have any raves this week? Any raves this week? Yeah. Well, I I did. Uh, yeah, I'm still on vacation, so I don't know if I said this out loud, but it's better to be at least home and not at work, and then coming home to have to deal with this. I'm, at least I'm home. I can take a break in between. I don't feel like I'm rushing to get everything done when I get home. So, and it's nice to. I mean. If I'm I'm suffering through this, but I tell you what, Sarah's suffering right through it with me. So it's good to have a partner in crime, at least somebody that's yeah <laughs> that understands how frustrating it can be. But so we're trying to keep each other's spirits up the best we can. But anyways, being on vacation is my rave, and I'm happy with that. I got one more Go ahead. as well. And this past Saturday, I was in a wedding for my good friend Rick. And I tell you what, it's one of the better weddings I've been to in a while. Had a great time. It was simple. The uh, reception wasn't so heavy-handed with all the traditional, you got to do this, 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 and this, that everybody's waiting and expecting. It was like, introduce the wedding party. Everybody grab a seat. And then, okay, uh, we're going to get some food now, <laughs> you know? And then afterwards, do a uh, first dance. All right, and that would, and that was it. You know, there was no have to do with dad, have to do with mom, have to do the dollar dance, have to catch a bouquet, have to catch a whatever. You know, they just they even did their cake cutting privately, and I was just like, hey, you know what? Band's playing while they're doing this too, and the band is one of my main raves about that wedding. Uh, more specifically, they're called uh, Jera and the Absolutes. They're a local band. They are more out of Galesburg than around here. But anyways, she is related to the bride, and they play cover songs. They were playing them from the 70s all the way into the 2000s. And dude, this lady is like 60 and can just wail. I mean, she was so, so good. In fact, she played acoustically for when the bride came down the aisle, Ashley, uh, she's playing acoustic, Take My Breath Away. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, I forgot to mention this was an 80s-themed wedding, so all all sorts of 80s stuff. But, man, just killed it. Sarah Falls, her Facebook page now, it's a shame you don't hear them more, you know, because they, fantastic. I would hire them in half a second. Awesome. That sounds like fun. Oh, man. I, I... I oddly enough had a wedding this weekend too. Oh yeah, I was officiating. Oh fun! So, yeah, you said you were going to do that. Yeah, so I had I had double booked myself too, so I had to go straight from the wedding, drive an hour and a half to preach at a conference. So it was a uh, it was a busy day. <laughs> yeah. well, I got one speaking engagement done. Off to the next. Yes, that's what it was. Am I getting paid? <laughs> <laughs> My only rave this week was I have gone back to iced coffee since the temperature has, has risen. Yeah. And every summer when I do it, I forget how much I actually kind of enjoy iced coffee. Iced coffee's great. Iced coffee is fantastic. That's how I start every day with a Java Monster. Okay. And, and I had had one this morning, too, and it was great. 
not so much while I'm on vacation, but today I wanted to get a good, uh, get going this morning, so I need a little boost. There you go. What do you? What, what kind of iced coffee do you drink? Uh, we make our own. Uh, I, I brewed up a bunch of our. We have a we have a place in town here that we get our, our coffee from called Country Morning Coffee. They're local, and uh, we discovered it back when we were living in Washington. I don't know if you remember when the church had the book. Oh, yeah, you remember when the church had the bookstore. Mm-hmm. When we start, first started getting coffee, we'd gotten the coffee from them. They had it on the shelves at Lindy's in Washington. And so that's how I found it before I ever moved up here. And they roast it and flavored everything right here in Kiwani. And so we nice. use their coffee. And so I just I brewed up several pots the other day and filled up some ice cube trays with coffee. So when you use ice, it doesn't get watered down. And uh, I love it. Yep. And then so I add it. in some some uh you know, flavoring and everything else, whatever you want, and go on from there. Yeah, we need to do that some more often. That probably saves some money on buying me uh, Java monsters every day. Yeah, those are what, like three dollars a can now. <laughs> uh, they are three dollars if you just go buy them by themselves. But if you go to like a Dollar General, you can get like uh, three for five or something like that. Okay, all right. So it ends up being a little cheaper, under two two dollars somewhere in there. You talk about the ice cube trays. Made me think of Sarah. She, whenever we are having margaritas at home, uh-huh. she'll already have a that pre-made margarita mix poured into the ice cube tray. So when she goes to blend up oh, in okay. the blender, they're already margarita and not watered down. Yep, there you go. Found that tastes way better than putting actual ice cubes in there. Yeah, because I splurged and got myself one of those big, huge cold drink things it almost looks like a a thermos but it's got a long straw in it and everything else the top flips up and it keeps cold drinks cold for eight hours yeah that sucker works it was still cold by the time i was finishing it off this afternoon nice gotta love that yeah terry tell us what's going on in the world of guinness oh yeah guinness record alert for the week per the guinness record website Nick D. Giovanni and Lynn Davis are back at it again, creating supersized food worthy of a world record. Nick and Lynn created the largest cake pop on November 23rd, 2021, and the duo have teamed up again for a second colossal culinary creation. The pair have now created the world's largest chicken nugget, weighing in at 46 pounds, 3.34 ounces. Holy cow! Approximately 115 times larger than your average chicken nugget. The chicken, quote, slurry for the main component of the nugget consisted of 40 slices of white bread, half a gallon of whole milk, 40 pounds of ground chicken, 40 eggs, three quarters cup of onion powder, three quarters cup of garlic powder, one cup of salt, half cup of black pepper for one chicken nugget. (laughs) Wow. First, the milk and the bread slices were combined and set aside. Uh, That's our trick to get a juicy chicken nugget, they said. Then all the other ingredients were combined before the milk-soaked bread was mixed in. Once the mixture was completed, the next challenge was baking it. In order to bake the chicken nugget, since it's so large, they had to build a special contraption. Once the mixture was poured into the specially made container, uh, they coated the uncooked nugget with more beaten eggs in order to get the breadcrumbs to stick to the outside. Uh, Nick said, I've made a lot of dino nuggets in my time, but never uh, have I used a paintbrush. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> the, top, the top of the nugget was then coated in a mix of breadcrumbs and panko breadcrumbs. Once this was done, the pair needed to transport the nugget to a commercial oven to bake. 
as in their test runs with a domestic oven, it took over 12 hours. Partway through baking, the mesh sides of the container were folded back so the sides of the nugget could also be coated in the breadcrumb mix. After this was done, <laughs> the nugget was placed back in the oven where it needed to continue cooking until the meat exceeded a temperature of 165 degrees Fahrenheit to ensure it was safe to consume. Once the nugget was fully cooked, it was weighed and inspected by Guinness World Records. Uh, uh, how do you say this? Adjudicator? Adjudicator. <laughs> Adjudicator. Never said that word in my life. Uh, anyways, <laughs> it was inspected by them. The record was then confirmed in Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, just at the end of May, a couple weeks ago. After the successful attempt, the nugget was cut up and distributed to friends, family, and filming crew for consumption. And this thing, what was the final weight after cooking? The final weight was, where did it say, uh, 46 pounds, 3.34 ounces. That is a big chicken nugget. Now, was it shaped like one of the classic McDonald's uh, chicken nugget shapes? Like, the, what is it called, the bell? No, it uh, looked just like a big old nugget. Okay. I mean, uh, yeah, just big giant thing, <laughs> like a rectangle. See, they, the fact that they baked it means they cheated. I should, they, they should have had to fry it. They probably could have. They found a strainer basket with, like, a shovel handle or something. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. Uh, had, with the handle on it and everything. Yeah. That would have been something. Wow. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> so, how much of it do you think you could put down? It's going to make me sound like a fatty, but I, if I was a betting man, I think my, I put my over-under for betting at 2.5 pounds of chicken nugget. I'd say I'd probably land somewhere in there. I was going to say three pounds. If you gave me the right sauce to dip it in, I'd probably be all right. Yeah, that's taking up space in your stomach. Yeah, but you need it to taste good, too. Unless if it tastes absolutely amazing, I can eat until my stomach explodes. Case in point, whenever we order Chinese food, I always feel like I'm going to die afterwards because (laughs) I cannot stop eating that chicken. And it's like I force myself, like, dude. You want lunch tomorrow, right? You're only going to have like two pieces of chicken left if you keep going. <laughs> so I have to stop myself. Oh, that looks like a good amount to stop at. Right. I didn't used to do that. I'd finish all of it off, some lo mein, some rice, egg roll, crab rangoon, just fill me up. But if I had to do it, I think I could it on the right day. Yeah, I think, like I said, I think the good, the safe bet, to being honest, would be over under at two and a half pounds. I'd say one of my I've great... eaten. I've eaten that in steak before yeah so yeah i've eaten that in steak before so because i've done that but uh other than i don't know man that's a that'd be a tough one yeah i don't know man uh my my greatest eating feat was probably eating one of those large hoops pizzas and I think oh, I ate yeah. all but two of the little squares of it. If you ever had them, they're massive pizzas. Crystal used to work at Hoops. We've had those a lot. Yeah, it's extremely greasy, extremely cheesy. Tastes better when you got alcohol in your system. And by gosh, it! I was out there with a friend one night, and he's a little guy. He just had like a couple pieces, and I like ate the rest of it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is why I weigh so much. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, buffets are the reason I, I weigh as much as I do. That Chinese food buffet, after the third plate, I'm like, why do you do this to yourself every time? Every time you do this to yourself. Because <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. All right, well, did you have a Hero of the Week? Do we have a Terry Thompson Hero of the Week? Yeah, this one's a whole neighborhood, actually. 
Uh, oh, wait a minute. That's not the name. It's the Todd Beamer Hero Todd of Beamer. the Week. I'll Todd Beamer it. Hero of the Week. I'll be your hero. <laughs> uh, from the Good News Network, knowing for having a heart of gold and a pair of green thumbs, Linda Taylor was a beloved neighbor in her Minneapolis community. After arriving in the area 19 years ago as a volunteer to help the homeless and needy, she began renting a small house on 10th Avenue and East 36th Street in uh, Powderhorn Park District. There, the 70-year-old retiree became a bright star of the neighborhood. It seemed, though, that bright star would be severely darkened, perhaps permanently, when her landlord decided to sell the property and gave her until the end of January to evict. Word gets around tight communities, and after she told one neighbor, the greater part of Powderhorn rallied around her, striking a deal with the landlord that if he would give Miss Linda until the end of June, they would raise the money to buy the house. There was no one-size-fits-all approach to the fundraising efforts. Inflation is at a 40-year high, driven by previous monetary inflation reaching broader sectors of the economy. While gas just crossed the national average of $5 a gallon, yet even in such difficult times, folks were able to open heart, mind, and wallet to make the project a reality. It involved an art show, bake sale, pro bono work by a real estate agent, countless small donations, and other community fund drives to come up with the dough, which they did a full month ahead of the June 30th deadline. Wow. Yesterday I went and did the closing for the house, she said. It makes me feel so good. Everything that I have given, it's coming back to me, and I want to continue to give. I love this neighborhood. That's amazing. So, pretty awesome. Someone that, people that recognize someone that's so selfless to just take care of them, you know, in their time of need. That's pretty awesome. I thought so, too. And that is that the same Good News Network that John Krasinski was doing during the pandemic? Yeah, that's the same one. Yeah, he did, what, like six, seven episodes, something like that, and handed it off. Yeah. And they keep it going, too. I look in there from time to time, because sometimes you just need a little boost in the morale. because you got to restore your faith in humanity every now and then. Yeah, you go to any news outlet, and this is dominated by bad news or oh, yeah. or tabloid journalism that I just don't care about. I don't miss... I'm glad we don't have cable where I can just sit and have the news on because it's bad for me. Yeah, It's bad I enough just, I can surf the internet and find it. It's worse when I can sit and just have it playing nonstop on a loop. Yeah, I, I'm good without it. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, read it my own time. What's that? At the top of the show, Terry, we said we're episode 66. Philip 66, Route 66. Did you know there are Route 66? I figured you'd get that one. Uh, did you know that there are 66 books in the Bible? I've heard that before, yeah. I also thought of something here. There's a couple of people who died at 66 years old. Michael Crichton and Gary Shandling both died at 66 years old. Michael Crichton brought us Jurassic Park and ER. Yes. Oh, speaking of which, did you go see Dominion? No. We, no. we, got, we got busy. and I got you. I've heard, I haven't heard great reviews that's from what it. i was i was curious because i haven't heard great reviews either i knew you were planning on seeing it i've talked to one person that's seen it and they're like oh yeah the girls loved it and i was like oh well did you like <laughs> it <laughs> so i'll wait on it, that one maybe okay and also then born in 1966 adam sandler all right i saw him watch that new movie with him and i want to see it hustle i haven't seen that one either looks good 
Uh, Janet Jackson is also born in 66. Mike Tyson, born in 66. Mike Tyson. David Schwimmer. All right. Was born in 66. Halle Berry in 66. Salma Hayek. And really? up next, he's next. Goldberg? Goldberg was born in 1966. <laughs> oh, boy. And he's still out there wrestling. I don't think he is right now, but I'm sure he'll show up at SummerSlam. Oh, uh, Ric Flair was born in like 1912 or something like that, and he's still out there going. <laughs> I saw a video of him last week training for a match. <laughs> Gosh. Just stop it. <laughs> All right. Well, it's time for Rob's hot take before we devote the rest of our night to Dark Knight. Uh, nobody gets me. Uh, we've got... <laughs> uh, my hot take this week is kind of in light of the Amber Heard, Johnny, Jep, Johnny Depp trial, uh, but a different take on it. And it's just something that reminded me, I had thought about doing this hot take a while back, and I didn't. And I don't know why. I just like we, we went on to something. I picked something else because it just... I don't know why, but it is, I think it's fitting to think of it. Is that my hot take is this, Terry? What's if that? you are far, if you are found to have falsely accused someone of a crime, it is my belief that you should be required to do the prison sentence that comes with that crime. Hmm. So, for example, if you're going to apply this, now this was a civil tree, a civil case, so she wasn't making any police report accusations or anything. This was about. Uh, defamation. But let's say, for sake of argument, that she had gone in and said to the police and accused him of beating her, and it was found out that she'd lied. I believe she should have to do the same prison sentence or jail time that he would have had to do had he been convicted of uh, spousal abuse. Which, maybe that's a bad example because it's not often a, a, a prison sentence. Well, Tommy Lee had to go to jail for beating up Pamela Anderson. Yeah. But I guess a better one to think about it in those terms. Do you remember the Duke lacrosse rape case? Yeah. Where that oh, yeah, dancer accused, accused those boys of raping her. Mm-hmm. And it turned out she was lying. I think she should have gone to prison for the same amount of time that you send a rapist to prison. I, I can't say I, I want to argue with that too much. But at the same time, you got to think. I would factor in how much time you're wasting of everybody uh police court and the other people that you've accused put that into account how much money has been cost to everything and i i don't think it should be the full sentence i but i think it should be a big sentence i think it should be at least a percentage of that because you're dragging someone's name through the mud well, why not the full sentence then? Man. Let's say for sake of argument, like I said, let's say with the rape case that it's 10 years. I don't know what the standard, and I'm sure it's a range, and you know, there's always mitigating factors that go into sentencing, but let's say that there's a, a, a sentence range, yeah. and I think that that same sentence range should apply to the false accuser. Because in the case of something like Especially the Duke, Duke Lacrosse case, that was before the Me Too movement, and you know the damage that false accusations like that play are more well known to us now after the, what the effects of the Me Too movement were. 
and you hear about women who have talked about so many times that they were afraid to come out because people assumed them to be liars and that sort of thing. And when yeah. you have people that are proven to be lying about it, that damages not only the people they falsely accused, but the people who come afterwards who may not be willing to risk the embarrassment or the hassle or the you know emotional trauma that goes with going to trial over a, car, a charge like that. I just think I'm, I'm tired of seeing people just get away with making these accusations that are false and then nothing happens to them. Something should happen to them. I just don't know if a full sentence is required uh, because at least a minimum would probably be acceptable. But yeah, there's some, depending on the severity of a rape or a battery of any kind, you can get put away for 10, 15, 20 years, depending okay, so on what the. Right outcome is, and I guess it's hard to do a one for one comparison because, like you said, there's so many other things that go into sentencing besides just it's not just a you know set amount for each offense. It's not like you rob a car, you do five years. You rob two cars, you do eight years. You know, it's not like that. There's other things that figure into sentencing, yeah. and, and so I can it, understand why it'd be difficult to come up with a one to one comparison in that. And it can be. I have a feeling a lot of these people that do this are mad in the moment for I don't know any given shorter length of time but after a while they're like man this wasn't worth it you know now it's dragging out and it's becoming this big thing yeah I'm, I'm mad at him or I'm mad at her but it's one of those things it's in the moment that they decided that and they didn't do any physical harm to somebody but they are dragging that person's name through the mud and you're just going to think to yourself, man, I want to steer clear of that guy because he went to court for rape. Yeah, he was found not guilty, but I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I guess I'd, I'd stick by, you say not doing any physical harm, but there's harm that's worse than physical harm. There's reputational mm-hmm. harm that's worse that takes longer to heal than any physical harm would. Yeah. So, I don't know. I Something should happen, though. I think so. I think it should be mandatory if you falsely accuse somebody of something. You should do time, is what I'm saying, of some kind. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, there's not a lot of ramifications. Like, uh, you know, they got, I don't know. Anyway, I think we made a point. I don't want to beat 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 it into the ground. But uh, that's my hot take. Yeah, you know, I think we're gonna do some at some point. Terry is I had done this thing several years ago, like maybe ten, eleven, twelve years ago, something like that. Every once in a while, they pop up on my Facebook memories. I had gone through this this called the United States of Rob, which was uh, what I would that. do, what I would do, how things would be if I ruled. And maybe we have to re-resurrect that. Oh man! Either after we run, after I run out of hot takes, I think we're gonna dive into the United States of Rob, which is how I would set up and run things if I was to rule. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all Watch the different out. rules. That, yes. All the ways things would be different in the United States of Rob. <laughs> oh, It'd be a man. great place to live, Terry. Oh, I'm sure it would be. <laughs> as long as you like all the stuff I like and we, you play all the music I want to play, you only uh, talk about things I like and that'll be perfect. Oh, I believe in freedom. Don't get me wrong. It's not going to be things you can't talk about. It's going to be the way things are run. Okay. I believe in freedom of speech, freedom of choice, that sort of thing. You know, you should, uh, uh, as long as, you know, that 
you know, you're free. It's 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 long conversations, and I can go bit by bit on. It. I think that'll be a fun segment once I run out of hot takes, which may take a while in and of itself. I have opinions on lots of things. I know you do. But we are going to get into it now with The Dark Knight, Terry. What a great movie. What an outstanding, what an outstanding uh, two and a half hours of pure entertainment. I don't understand how they did this movie so well. It, it just, it has such perfect flow that, that I mean, that was one of my good, it, perfect flow. It never sna- stagnant. It just, it's, it's always going forward in a good way. Like, and you're gripped to the screen the entire time. Where? I mentioned this I mentioned this last week that I think this movie is nearly flawless. Yes. There are a couple of small nitpicks here and there, but that's just nitpicks and you're gonna have those with any kind of story at all. This movie has one flaw, we will get to it. Uh but this movie is just it's not just a good superhero movie. It is just a fantastic movie, regardless of genre. Yeah. It was so good that there was rumored that the Academy expanded their Best Picture nominations because they had five, but the fan favorites were this movie and Wally. And they're like, well, people are going nuts for this, and we don't have them nominated. So they expanded it out to include. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I brought this up too. The Best Picture winner in 2009, which Kurt was Locker. the year. No. No. Best picture of 2009, which is when this was eligible. Here's the field. I'll tell you the field, and then I'll, I'll give you the winner last. In the running was a movie called The Reader. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. I hadn't either. After that was Milk. I've heard of it. Never saw it. Just didn't really interest me. Heard of it. Never saw it. Nobody's still talking about Milk. I'm going to tell you that right now. Or The Reader. Got Milk. Uh, Frost Nixon. Heard of it as well. Never watched it. Heard of it, never saw it. Nobody's still talking about it. Mm-mm. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Okay. That one has held up. People still talk about that one from I time saw to it. time. I liked it. There's no way it's getting watched as much as Dark Knight is still. I've seen it one time, and that's it. And I thought that was plenty. I don't yeah, feel like here. I need to see it again. The winner of the Oscar for Best Picture in 2009 was Slumdog Millionaire. That movie's awesome. That movie rocks. That's <laughs> yes. That movie was really good, but let me ask you this, Terry. When's the last time you rewatched it? Within the last year. Really? Yeah, oh, I've seen that movie probably maybe six or seven times. Okay, I saw it twice. I watched it once and then watched it again later on, and I haven't revisited it. I still it's remember watching that first time. Like I felt like little chills going on because yeah. it's slowly building the whole movie. You're like, oh my gosh, here we go. Uh, yeah, it was. A it good is a show. great movie, and I think that would have been a good battle. But the fact that Dark Knight was not even able to beat out the other four movies on that list to get nominated is a crime. Yep. Yep. They, it's just they, a crime. So, yeah, the, what, the following year they put the, all the ten movies now, I guess, or eight or whatever it is. Yeah, it's ten now. Ten. It did win two Oscars, though, so I'll give you that. It won for Best Supporting Actor for Heath Ledger, which we'll spend some time talking about Heath Ledger. Absolutely. And also Sound Editing. Yeah, sound was great in this movie. Yeah, there's a lot. There's so much good about this movie. It's so well done. Let me give you some of the basic stats for it to start off, and then we'll get into our good, bad, and ugly, and and Terry's fun facts, and have some fun talking about The Dark Knight. It was released on July 18th, 2008. Prime time. Prime summer blockbuster release time. 
It is, of course, a sequel to Batman Begins, mm-hmm. this is con- and then would be followed up by The Dark Knight Rises, which is known as the Christopher Nolan Bat- Dark Knight Trilogy. It has a runtime of two hours and 32 minutes. It was made on a budget of $185 million, which when you see some of the set pieces and the fact that that Hong Kong scene is not CGI in any way, the entire production crew flew to Hong Kong to film those scenes. Uh, that's several million dollars worth of expense just on that five-minute stretch alone. And it's money well spent for this movie. Absolutely. Uh, it did a a uh, it was a, a certified blockbuster, incredible movie. We did uh, five hundred and thirty-five million, roughly, in the U.S. with a uh, global gross of over a billion dollars, just over a billion dollars worldwide. Yeah, I think at the time it was number two when it was all said and done. At yeah, the I time, mean, if you think about it in terms of inflation from two thousand and eight to now, it would it be in the one point three eight billion range. So for worldwide. Worldwide, yep. So How about massive? Uh, I'm guessing you know you add probably be about 700 million. I would think for domestic, I didn't do the inflation calculation. No, that's still just amazing. Yeah, it was a phenomenal success. Was uh, critically and audience acclaimed. It's 97 or above on the tomato meter for both uh, critics and audience score, uh, which is un- which is an accomplishment. Um, the IMDb has it as their number three movie of all time. Number on their three, a uh, comic book movie is yes. number three, and that's talking about all the movies ever. Right, this isn't like categorized. It is IMDb's top two fifty. That's number three. Yep, it's amazing. And like I said, I I I'm of the opinion, as are a lot of people, that this is the greatest superhero movie ever made. Um, I think without because Batman and Iron Man came out in the same year, because Iron Man also came out in two thousand and eight, and then there was a quick run to we get to Avengers because Avengers <clears throat> came out I think what roughly six to eight months before The Dark Knight Rises. Did it? And I remember the advertising campaign. It was kind of fun. Was after Avengers came out was its big success. It says I saw a magazine cover which said your move Batman because everybody knew that Dark Knight Rises come out. And of course I don't know if you remember this or not, but the uh, the Colorado theater shooting happened during the opening weekend of The Dark Knight Rises, which scared off a lot of people from going out to see The Dark Knight Rises in the theater. Yeah, I remember that. That little orange-haired kid. Yeah. So, it stars. It's directed by Christopher Nolan. stars Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne Batman. Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox. Michael Caine as Alfred. Heath Ledger as the Joker. Uh, Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent, a.k.a. Two-Face, and Maggie Gyllenhaal as the love interest for Bruce Wayne and Harvey Dent, Rachel Dawes. Man, you, you Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman, Heath Ledger. I mean, I would have loved to see what Heath Ledger had up his sleeve later on. Oh, man, I... Uh, there's so many big what-ifs, and we'll get to those when we get to our last questions later on. Um, it's just there's so many what-ifs about what would Joker have been in the re- in the sequel. Yeah. What would that story have been? What would they have, How would they have moved that story? And I, had, I heard one theory, and I think it sounds amazing. We'll talk about it when we get there. Okay. Also, we had a cameo in this movie. Not really a cameo, but a small part 
from a movie we've done very, very recently. What was An- that? Anthony Michael Hall. What was it? What was he in that? Brian movie? from Breakfast Club. No, yeah. What was he in the movie Dark Knight? He was in Dark Knight. He was the news anchor that was talking to Reese about that's who right. the real Batman was. Because I pointed that out too when I was talking to Sarah. Like that's that's it's Anthony Michael Hall right there, and I forgot all about that. Did you mention Gary Oldman too? I did not mention Gary Oldman. That was, of course, Commissioner Gordon. What? A, how can I forget that? What a great another legend actor. <laughs> yes, I don't know why I didn't write that down. This movie stacked from top oh, to bottom. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about each of these people. Christian Bale, I think, here, he, it's controversial when you talk about Batman because there's a lot of people my age that live and die by saying Michael Keaton is Batman, period. Michael Keaton was a good Batman. I think Christian Bale was a better Batman than Michael Keaton. But I think Michael Keaton might have been a better Bruce Wayne. Okay. I could see that. Uh, you want to know something funny? I was reading on here. Where is it? Uh, like, I'm going to get into one of my facts now because it kind of ties okay. into this. Dang it, where is it? The infamous growl performed by Christian Bale was much rougher in this movie than Batman Begins and has been parodied countless times due to its extreme nature. Yes. However, the common misconception is that Christian Bale was fully responsible for this voice. The real voice during filming was more toned down and then heightened to a rougher, grittier vibe during post-production under the decision of writer, producer, and director Christopher Nolan. No kidding. I always thought Christian Bale just went over the top. I was like, God, dude, you just reel it in a little bit. No, it wasn't on him. It was on the director. That would have been my thought, too, that it was, most, that it was uh, the actor's choice. Yeah, and so they did it post-production, so... Are you a fan of Christian Bale? Have you seen a lot of his other movies? Christian Bale's a great actor. Does, where do you think this puts on his list of... If he's putting uh, together his, his bio, his, his resume, how far... How, where does this rank? Is which, how soon does he get into this one when he talks about the movies he's been in, been in? You know, a lot of actors are more proud of the roles that they put more effort into. And I feel like, granted, he was in all three of these movies, but he's done a lot of other stuff that... He might be more proud of because he's what was it the machinist or something where he got yeah. down to a skeleton size and I don't know man let's see here let's look at the old Christian Bale's filmography American Psycho that's oh, the one th- I'm thinking of because that's an iconic performance also yeah when he uh, changed himself up to play Dick Cheney I mean oh yeah yeah, yeah and Vice that American Hustle movie went all out for that was a good one I like that yeah. that was an ensemble man he really fit in well with everybody. Oh yeah, uh, it's hard. Evidence. It's hard to gra- gather attention when you're on screen with some of the people like he was on screen with. In that, like, uh, what is her name? Uh, I can't think of her. She played Jennifer Hunger Lawrence. Games. Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, couldn't think of her name. Jennifer Lawrence. It's hard to get screen time when you're standing in front of her. It's hard to have attention on you when she is sharing the screen with Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, and he manages to do it. I'd say it'd be somewhat up there because I'm looking at his filmography and he really doesn't have a whole lot other than the, some of the stuff I just mentioned. So, I mean, he's very selective of what he does. He's going to be in the new Thor movie, we know. So right. That I'm looking like forward to his performance. Yeah. Uh, Ford versus Ferrari. I never did see that. Is it any good? I didn't see it either. 
It's one of those I'm, I'm waiting to come to a streamer so I can catch it. Hmm. Yeah, so one of these days. Anyways, back to Christian Bale. Yeah, uh, yeah I'd American say he... Psycho was my first introduction really to Christian Bale, and I remember thinking this guy is just he played that borderline that psychosis of the character. Uh, what is his name? Uh, uh, I knew Patrick his name. Bateman. Patrick Bateman. Yes, Patrick Bateman. Mm-hmm. He plays him so well that kind of. That, that terror that lurks just beneath the surface, that psychosis that's just bubbling beneath his skin. You know, you have this guy who's who's a maniac walking around in a sane person's skin. It's just, and he pulls it off so well. Yeah, he's he's a fantastic actor. Oh, man. I mean, Morgan Freeman, too. We could talk about a lot of his greatest hits. Morgan Freeman's great in this movie. He's a supporting cast role. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you're topping a movie where you get to actually play God. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's hard to knock off that one. Let's just say this isn't uh, Morgan Freeman's highest movie on the IMDb Top 250. And this is number three. He was in number one, The Shawshank Redemption. Yes. Which we've done on this show. And you can't say enough about Morgan Freeman. He's one of the people we had a quick question one time about who would you want to narrate your life? Morgan Freeman's yep. high up there on that list. Absolutely. Top five for sure. I think I go with James Earl Jones just before the the Darth Vader connection. Absolutely, <laughs> so. yeah, it's a good choice. <laughs> Michael Caine's been in so many great movies. Uh, Jaws. He's been in the uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Uh, Alfie. You know, I mean, lot, he's just been around for a long time. Le- done lots of great work. I think he's a great Alfred. I think he is my favorite Alfred of all time. Yeah, this isn't the first time uh, those two shared the screen either. Well, I guess it, at the first Batman Begins it was, but they're both in The Prestige as well. Remember that movie? Okay. Yes. With the magicians, Hugh Jackman. That was a good one. Yep. Uh, Aaron Eckhart. Yeah. Uh, a lot of great movies Aaron Eckhart's been in. One of my favorite movies, one of my guilty pleasures. You know, it's, I don't know if it makes my top 25 or not, but Thank You for Smoking is a movie that I absolutely love. Because he argues the whole time? Yes. Because that's what he does for a living. He argues for a living, and I I, uh, I love that movie. Yeah, it's a fun one. I enjoy it. He was also in uh, Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, that's right. He was, wasn't he? Yep. He was in... Uh, what else was he in? He's been in some good ones. So... Yeah. The and, core. of course... Yeah, the core. Yeah, that was actually... You know what? That's That's... That's a easy watch movie. It's not something you're gonna search out, but if it comes on, I can watch it. <laughs> right. Gary Oldman's been in too many great movies to even to even Gary, list, and his performances are always outstanding. <laughs> that dude is one of the most legendary actors ever, and sometimes I don't feel like he gets enough credit. Yeah, I was just about to say the same exact thing. He's one of the best character actors I think in history. Yeah. I put him in the conversation anyway. He's in the field. Absolutely, I like I like him. And then uh, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, which I don't know what else she's been in because I would refuse to watch anything with her in it. <laughs> well, her brother Jake Gyllenhaal was Mysterio in Spider Man. Yes, yeah. yes, and he was also in uh, what was it the the one day after tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, day after tomorrow. What was the one where they invented Viagra? He was in. Uh, pharmaceutical rep. What movie oh, was that? Oh, gosh, yeah. I remember that one. With Anne, Anne Hathaway. Hathaway. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't, can't remember the name of it. Who knows? <laughs> of course, Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger were in a movie together, too, which I've never watched. 
<laughs> You're not missing much. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I can't quit you. That brings you. us to... Huh? I can't yeah. quit you. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could sorry. quit you or something like that. I don't know. I didn't watch it. Uh, which brings us to Heath Ledger, of course, which I think is the the dominant reason this movie is as good as it is is because of his portrayal of the Joker in this movie. Without Heath Ledger, I don't think this movie's great. I think it's pat, it's decent. You know what? Without Heath Ledger, this is Thor Dark World. Enjoyable to watch, but not going to leave an impression on you. Yeah. Man, Heath Ledger really didn't just blow anybody really away until this movie. Right. I mean, he, he was in, mean, like, rom-coms. 10 I Hate About You. Yeah, his t- teenage movies. You know, yeah. it's, had he done, he had, he had done like, uh, he had to do all Patriot. Everything. Yeah. Yeah he, yeah. he had done the Patriot, and uh, I'm trying to think of some of the listed, but Patriots. A Knight's uh, Tale. A Knight's Tale, that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, which is actually not too bad. Uh, let's see here, what else we got? The Brothers Grimm. Lords of Dogtown, that's good. But, yeah, Ned Kelly, nobody watched that. Uh, <laughs> nobody watched that. Monster's Ball, which Halle Berry oh, won that's an right. Oscar he was for. Him. Yeah, he was that. That was a good movie. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, other than that, it was just bunch of nothing you ever heard of before that so short-lived career unfortunately but yeah this is i liked him in the patriot but yeah it was yeah. nothing compared to joker right this is a performance of a lifetime it is a a legendary it's a generational performance mm-hmm. you don't get performances like this very often it's you could make the argument that he should have just won best actor not best supporting actor because he's on the screen more in this movie than batman Right, I could roll into another fact here about go ahead how he played Joker. In preparation for his role as the Joker, Heath Ledger hid away in a motel room for about six weeks. During this extended stay of seclusion, Ledger delved deep into the psychology of the character. He devoted himself to developing the Joker's every tick, namely the voice and that sadistic-sounding laugh. For The Voice, Ledger's goal was to create a tone that didn't echo the work Jack Nicholson did in his 1989 performance as a Joker. Ledger's interpretation of Joker's appearance was primarily based on the chaotic, disheveled look of punk rocker Sid Vicious, combined with the psychotic mannerisms of Malcolm McDowell's character Alex DeLarge from A Clockwork Orange. Oh yeah, you can see it, definitely. Six weeks alone in a motel room. Now, here's a, a grim theory. Do you think that could have played anything into his demise? Uh, no, because I actually read into that a little bit. They A lot of speculation was out there, but th- their family was like, or his family said, no, he's had insomnia his whole life. He just, one of those people cannot sleep. And he took medication for that. The night before, his sister was talking to him, and she's like, hey, be careful mix like taking anything else with that sleep medication. It can it can hurt you if you're not careful. Well, it ended up killing him. What a waste, man. What a tragic loss. Uh so. he he makes this movie. His his interpretation on this character made it 100% believable 
even though there's so much of his character that's still fantastical to an extent in this movie, mm-hmm. it seems rooted and grounded. But you were terrified of this character because you could not think about what he was going to do next. I know it was always he was always ten steps ahead, and that was one of the crazy things about this movie because you think, oh, he's in a jail cell. I mean, you know, he's he's done. Nope. <laughs> oh, he's uh here nope he he's got something else planned several steps down the road's already in motion because he knows where it's going to be he pulls off menacing in the most unique way that i think i've really ever seen depicted in a movie yeah i could i could buy that the way he does it it's almost like he's, he's there's a complete psychotic aspect to him where he has zero empathy for any other human being as Alfred said, sometimes people just want to watch the world burn. And you believe it with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, other people act like, oh, I just want to mess stuff up, wreck stuff, but they can be bought. When he sets that huge pile of money on fire, you realize, because you're even like, oh, my God, don't burn all that money. What are you doing? And he's like, it was never about the money. It's about sending a message. Yeah, he's like, and you like, criminals uh, lack, what was it, lack ethical, what did what, he say? Gotham deserves a better class of criminal. That, I'm going to give it to him. Yes, yes. So, and uh, quick note: we haven't got. We're, we're, well, I guess I got a feeling we're going to jump all over the place. But when he burns that mountain of money, there's a there's a character up there. There. Oh yeah. If, if you remember, Lau is sitting on top of that pile of money yep. before Joker jumps and slides to the bottom, which must have hurt because that did not look like a soft landing. Yeah, I wonder uh, if that was a stunt double. I don't know. It'd be easy to put the stunt double in the makeup, but I mean, it, it didn't feel good for the stunt double either. Then <laughs> I'm sorry, but anyway, yeah, Lau was on top of that pile of money before yeah. he set it on fire. Yeah, they don't really uh, allude to that too much. It's kind of like there he is up there, and then that's it. <laughs> They're talking more about the money and everything, and forget about Lau. Yep. Yeah. His videos that he would send to the police department and to the news media were just, oh my gosh, so violent, so sadistic, and so terrifying. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure you have a fun fact about those sections of the movie. Why don't you go ahead and tell us? Heath Ledger directed both homemade videos that the Joker sends to the Gotham uh, News Network. The first video involving the fake Batman was done under writer, producer, and director Christopher Nolan's supervision. Nolan thought Ledger had done so well with that sequence, he felt there was no need for him to be there when it came to time to film the scene where reporter Mike Engel reads the Joker's statement. He put his trust in Ledger and let him do whatever he wanted, ultimately pleased with the result after he'd seen the outcome. Yeah. And this, the embodiment he has of absolute... Even when he's talking to that fake Batman, he's like, oh, shh, 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 and then he slaps him in the face, you're like... Yeah, I remember I was thinking, oh my god, I would not want to be that guy right now. <laughs> Yeah, and he's he's having a, all crazy, and then all of a sudden, oh. yeah, look at me, look at me, yeah, that's it, yeah, gosh, he just it's this movie rises and falls with him. This movie, this is his movie. Oh, for he sure, he steals it. Oh, he just sure. steals it. There's no other Batman movie that comes close to this one. Uh, uh-uh. not even in the conversation. There's a lot of movies that don't come close to this one that aren't even no. in the conversation, but uh, for sure, superhero movies, especially Batman. I mean, like we we've done the review of 1989 Tim Burton's Batman, which is a good movie. 
It's an enjoyable it's movie. It's nowhere near the level of Dark Knight. No. Well, even Batman Begins and The Dark Knight Rises aren't really on the sa- aren't on the same level as The Dark Knight. Mm-mm. No, and both enjoyable, but not this movie. This movie, you could change Batman away from a superhero, and it's still a great crime drama. It's a great character study. It's a great uh, statement on urban society and what it's like to live in and, and an effect of crime not only on citizens but on the criminals themselves as well what kind of environment breeds somebody like joker i know what kind of an environment creates somebody like joker yeah and we don't get an origin origin story and christopher christopher nolan was adamant that they don't dive into that at all there's theories there's a couple of theories that say that there's one theory that's predominant the one i've heard the most is that he was a former soldier and that the reason why that's why he's so good with with weapons, with guns, with he knows how to fire a rocket launcher accurately, and also his one throwaway comment when he's visiting Harvey Dent in the hospital after Dent has been burned is that he's talking about nobody freaks out as long as everything goes according to the plan. He says, "If I tell you tomorrow that a gangbanger is going to get shot, nobody freaks out because it's all part of the plan." Or if I tell you that a a truck full of soldiers is going to be blown away, nobody gets upset because it's all part of the plan. People think that's maybe an allusion to the fact that maybe he was a soldier, which is why he understands tactics, weaponry, Mm -hmm. and that may have been a giveaway as to like his origin or something that he was scarred coming out of an accident during his time as a soldier. That'd be an interesting road to travel down. Yeah, but you're right. There's no official. And I think it aids. I think it keeps him mysterious, and you don't know anything about him. Yep. And all you know is he's pure evil. And sometimes that just works when you don't have the origin story. Sometimes I want to know where they came from. With the way they delivered this movie, you didn't know. You already know Joker's a bad guy. If you, anybody's heard of Batman ever, you know the Joker's a bad guy. Right. And you don't need a long backstory. So for this movie, it worked perfectly. You didn't get a really. I guess you did kind of get one with Bane a little bit. But you didn't really get one with Ra's al Ghul. Other than, I guess, watching Bruce Wayne grow up. Right. So, yeah. I think it definitely works for him. Uh, aiding that that depiction joke is also the score by Hans Zimmer. The oh, way yeah. the music works in this movie is incredible. Yep. Perfect. It builds tension so well. And it's just like when you see that, well, we played that little clip at the beginning of the podcast of our introduction to Joker. If you can hear the background music that is building up until he rips off the mask and that, it kind of goes that and kind of, you know, kind of falls out almost like all the tensions building, building, then just spills out over everywhere. And uh, that's a good way. The music throughout this movie does such a great job of conveying the absolute uneasiness that you feel not knowing what's going to happen. Yeah, I, you're right. Uh, that first scene you mentioned, man, that is one of the best opening scenes to a movie ever, in my opinion. It was just so perfect because I had no idea the Joker was right there. You just right. You you're wondering if all these guys are just henchmen wearing masks and whatever. And going back and rewatching it, knowing which one the Joker is, it takes away from it a little bit, but on that initial watch, you are just like, oh my gosh, he was right there the whole time. And right. it was that's so cool. And the fact that, uh, like you said, from the beginning, there's this tone that goes through the whole, that's like two-tone sound that starts off while they're 
they're starting the whole bank of me just carries all the way through and it just sets your it sets your teeth on edge. Yep. It's incredible the way they do it. Gosh. Love that. But you're right, that's one of the best opening scenes in a movie ever. Mm-hmm. You know, the way they give a little bit of exposition along the way, like uh you know, I heard he paints his face, you know, like yes. I mean like makeup and all like war paint to scare people. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> I, I love that. It's just little something from each one. And and uh, how each person on there's got to kill the guy right yes. that they're working with. Oh, funny! He told me something similar. <laughs> what? All the, oh. down, all the way down to the last guy. He's like, I, I guess you were told you're supposed to kill me. He's like, No, I kill the bus driver. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, speaking of of the bus driver, the practical effects I think in this movie. Have because rewatching it again this week, the special effects of this movie are still holding up 14 oh. years later with ease. How much CGI was in this movie? Not a lot. Harvey Dent's face was CGI, yeah. You had I to think do that. They, they added in some of the they augmented the practical effects with CGI a little bit, for example, like in to in uh Hong Kong, some of the stuff is is CGI added in, but the basics of all these shots were practical effects, for example, the most famous one is during the chicken scene towards the end when the bat pod and the semi-truck are racing at it and the bat pod zips underneath it and shoots these anchors down and flips the semi-truck in the middle of the street. That was actually a flipped semi-truck in the middle of a downtown Chicago street. Awesome. It's amazing. It's one of those moments you're like, oh my gosh, did that just happen? How much did it cost to block off that street? I don't know, but I remember they, they did so much actual filming in Chicago, which is one of the things I have on my good. I mean, Chicago just looks fantastic in this movie. Mm-hmm. Just looks gorgeous. And in fact, uh, one of my favorite reminders that this is actually Chicago, other than the architecture and recognizing the Chicago River and the bridges that come across it and the water tower building there that you can see in one shot. Plus, you can see you know some of these other buildings. And interest- interestingly enough, the building that is black that is Wayne Enterprises in mm-hmm. this movie, that building is actually red. Is it? In Chicago, that building is actually red. When I lived there, there was a terrible accident because one of the windows from one of the upper floors came loose and fell to the street and killed somebody. Mm. And so uh, that was, you know, but every time I see that movie, I recognize that that building is actually red in real life. And you got a story for the building as well on top of that. Yeah, and then what I was thinking, too, is that, that when he is going after Joker there at the end, or I'm sorry, he's going after, yeah, he's going after Joker on the Bat Pod, the first time first time we see the Bat Pod, and he's racing through what looks like a mall. Mm-hmm. That's not a mall. In the L, some of the L stops, when you get downtown, the subway, mm-hmm. those stops, a couple of them have shopping areas in them. So when you're going from one train to the next at these uh, interchanges on the subway system, yeah. it looks like a shopping mall. They have restaurants, you know, little fast food places, uh, like a pharmacy or whatever, you know, little little stores. And I thought that was awesome. Him driving that through, I was like, that's so cool because that's Chicago. It reminded me of being of living in Chicago. Nice. I didn't know it was in Chicago until I uh, was looking into this movie. Oh, really? I had no idea. Oh, I see. I guess, well, you're, you're a Cardinals fan. See, I'm a Cubs fan, so I recognize Chicago skyline. <laughs> and I recognize some of those uh, some of those landmarks. And Lower Wacker Drive, 
that upper lower drive that they do that that when they goes when they go down below i guess it makes sense yeah i don't know why i wouldn't think that <laughs> yeah i've been when there transporting yeah transporting harvey dent they go down to lower wacker drive that's that's absolutely chicago i don't know why why i never thought this was chicago because i've driven downtown plenty of times just overlooked it completely <laughs> Well, speaking of which, we just mentioned that. What do you think of the Bat Pod? We get the introduction to the Bat Pod in this movie. That is one of the coolest things ever. <laughs> and some Wait, dude actually driving that. <laughs> yeah. I had to watch this movie like three times before I ever realized that it's the front two tires of the tumbler mm-hmm. that are the front. I, for some reason, always thought that it was a front tire and a back tire, and that we slid over. He's actually sliding over to sit on the bike, and it was in line from the beginning, not realizing that it pops off the front two tires to turn into the bat pod, which just still blows my mind, the physics of it. Oh, yeah. That was just so cool, and just I can't imagine riding that thing. It's got to be so challenging, such a big wheel. Oh, yeah. You're, you're, you're turning that with your body, not your arms. <laughs> so. Yeah. And there's probably only a handful of people in the world that probably be qualified to drive that thing. Well, Anne Hathaway's one of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> she takes it out for a spin and Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> so I've been kind of dominating this conversation, Terry. Tell me some of your good. Oh man, I like I said I like the flow of the movie, the action scenes. There's not a single action scene in this movie that doesn't deliver. Absolutely not, 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 not one. I mean, every single one of them. I'm just excited and like got the blood pumping. This is amazing. And there's so many action movies where one's not as awesome as the other. These all deliver every time. Every dark point of this movie delivers every single time. And I don't know. It's, all of it's excellent. My my other good, obviously, was Heath Ledger just going all out for this movie. But those are my main things I liked. The flow of the movie. The, all the action scenes. And I'd say, like, you can't... It's hard to make a perfect action movie. This is... Like you said, almost flawless. The one the, the the Hong Kong scene where he goes to get Lao yeah. is just so mind blowing mm-hmm. from the fact the first when he dives off of his sailboat and leaves Alfred with all the ballerinas. <laughs> yeah. And you see that plane land in the ocean and you realize, okay, something's going on here. And then you show him they show him and Lucius Fox in Hong Kong and then you see him on top of that building and he's got that pressure gun shooting those those uh, detonators and covered in, yep. in uh, uh, some kind of goo, some kind of, of uh, bat adhesive. Goo. Yeah, bat. <laughs> that's a weird. That's a weird <laughs> sound to it. Uh, but anyway, hashtag and bat goo. He just jumps. Yeah, and you're like, oh, and then of course the cape comes out, and he's got the the glider on there, and he just the way he kind of folds the wings, and then just dive bombs and crashes through the window of this building, comes up swinging, people shooting at him. And one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie, the favorite visual in the whole movie, is when he does get to Lao, and he's just dragging him by a foot, like he's a kid throwing a temper tantrum. And he's just dragging him through the office by his foot, wraps him up, and then, you know, just uh, he sets out, he shoots and blows out the window behind him. No, I'm sorry, the timer, the detonators blow the window out behind him, and all of a sudden he just shoots something up into the air out there, and this plane comes along and just whoop, grabs him and takes him out. It was just amazing. The skyhook. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that was just so cool. And that kind of operation with a military would probably take weeks to plan and stuff. Like, a, 
Navy SEALs probably are scouting it out for a while. Okay, you got some smart guys writing it all out, and then they do a couple run practice runs. No, he just goes out there and goes for it. <laughs> this is bad. You could make you could maybe nitpick the skyhook, the the physics of skyhook a little bit if you wanted to. But I like to think there's enough give in that cord to where it doesn't snap their neck when it snags them. It stretches and then kind of zaps them up to them a little bit closer right, once they get out of the building. You know, like, Kind of like a bungee cord almost where, yeah, it's going to jerk them out of there, but it's not at the same force that the plane is moving at. Right. Yeah. I would, there's some give. It's got to be. There's got to be some give for sure. Because, yeah, they die. <laughs> yep. We're just going to imagine that it's perfect. <laughs> yes. They thought of it. It's the suspension of disbelief. Yes. Catherine Trammell uttered those famous words in Basic Instinct. <laughs> uh, this is the first time Batman in a movie had gone anywhere else but Gotham City. Not even like the 60s movie? From what I read, no. <laughs> I've only seen the Batman. 60s movie like one time. I want to I want to say that he went to some kind of an island. Uh, somewhere. May, I don't know. Maybe it was in... <laughs> One of those goofy off ones, but the yeah. regular movies, I don't think he did. Well, no, in Batman Begins, he goes overseas, too. What? I, I, that's what I read. Maybe I'm just wrong. What does he go overseas to? It's where he trains overseas. He trains with Ra's al Ghul. He has to climb that mountain, carrying that flower. Yeah, but Batman didn't go there. Okay. <laughs> I guess Bruce Wayne did. I don't know. Whatever I read said Batman hadn't been anywhere else. They always All right. Batman in Gotham City and only... Defending and acting in Gotham City. Who knows? And then, of course, uh, Batman vs. Superman crushes that. And yeah. Justice League as well. He's all over the place. One of the things I really liked, and this is true, and it carries from comics, and it's a theme throughout the, the history of the character, is his association with the Joker and them being mirror images of each other almost. Mm-hmm. And there's several nods to that in this movie that I think were subtle, but they're executed so well. Let's get the least subtle one out of the way. When they're in the uh, the interrogation room, mm-hmm. after they bring in the Joker and the lights are out, and Commissioner Gordon walks out, and then the lights come back on, you see Batman stand right behind him, and he slams his head down on there. Their conversation there, you see Joker's point where he thinks that they're almost like a couple in a way, like they're bound together. Like they're a team, yeah. And he even he he talks to him in that way. It's not just that it's that it's a a misreading of it on his part where he talks to him like they're operating as a team. <laughs> so his psychosis, his connection to Batman, in that sense, is so strong in his head that he thinks he he communicates with him that way. You don't need talk me. like them. You're not like them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You complete me. He says, and, the, and the, the advice that he gives him is actually sound. He says because they need you now. But when they don't, they'll cast you out. And they do. And they have to cast out Batman for five years because they don't need him anymore. Because right. they think that he takes the fall for, for Harvey Dent. And they were gonna cast they were gonna cast him out to, to get the Joker anyway. They were ready to turn on Batman after all he'd done for him just to stop Joker from killing people. So he had a point. Yeah. Also the uh, the end of the movie is another one where you can where you see that connection, that nod to the comics of of their their connection throughout the history of the Batman character is when Joker says, you really are incorruptible, aren't you? <laughs> he said, uh, I think we'll be destined to do this forever. 
I think we're destined to do this forever. Which is almost a meta type of joke where it's like Batman and Joker are going to be on the screen in the pages of books forever. Right. It's one of the great antagonist pairs in all of pop culture and literature, literary history. Yeah. Absolutely. It's hard to pick another hero villain combo you know, it's that David and Goliath. is more famous than those two. Yeah, it's David and Goliath. You've got, uh, oh man, I mean, I mean, you start, you, you can think of these these great characters in history. What are some of the uh, the antagonists? Well, you got the X Men and Magneto. You got, oh uh, yeah, Spider Man and the to, Goblin. I was trying to even think outside of comic books. Oh okay, because I think that Batman and Joker, their relationship even transcends just the comic book uh, field. The the that that yeah. realm. You know, uh, Othello and Iago from Shakespeare. So he's these great adversaries. So anyway, I can't think of any off the top of my head now, but I can definitely think of Batman and Joker. You were uh, and the one that I would say you were talking about uh, at the end of the movie there when he's hanging upside down. Remember that? Yeah. In the first Batman with Michael Keaton, he uses a grappling hook to rip Joker off the building to his death. Where in this movie, he uses a grappling hook to save the Joker from falling off a building. That's a great catch, yeah. And they're destined to do it forever. <laughs> exactly. Another subtle spot where it happens where you see the, the, the likeness between these two characters. And they are a lot alike. They really are. You know, Joker is the... the, the oh, well, what's great is in this movie especially, you have the example of Batman and Joker just represented through Harvey Dent's coin after he's maimed. And that one side is still pristine and good. The other side is horrified, black, and scarred. And this dark, you know, it's just the light and dark. They're the light and dark sides of the same coin. Like like Harvey's coin is Batman and Joker. And the scene where Joker comes up to Bruce's penthouse for the party. And he's looking for Harvey Dent. Maybe it's not Bruce's penthouse, but he comes up to that part, that party. It is, it is, it is his place. And uh, he shows up, and he comes in, and he's he just throws the champagne out. He grabs the champagne cup and dumps it before he pretends to take a drink. <laughs> it's the same thing that Bruce Wayne had done just a little bit ago when he walked out after coming in off his helicopter and just yeah. tosses the champagne that he's supposed to have. It was it was interesting that in that same uh, environment, in that same setting, they both did the exact same thing. That's funny you say that. Uh, another one that kind of alludes to that is when the Joker gives the address of where Rachel is at 250 52nd Street, which is a palindrome, which it's basically one side and the other is the same. Yep. If you split it right in half. And 52, of course, being the number of multiverses in the DC Universe. Jeez. Yeah, so... <laughs> Marvel's got a lot more yet to come. <laughs> yeah. There's just so much you could still continue to talk about that's good about this movie that uh, we spent all night talking about. I think each of the things plays off on itself, too, in the sense of it's all used to further the story. Yeah. This is an excellently written script. Yeah. You're constantly on the edge of your seat wondering what's going to happen next. Yeah. And I mean, and even after you have the huge emotional moment of... The, the Two-Face and, and Rachel 
uh, kidnapping and how he he tricks Batman into going to the wrong one to go get to teach yeah. to, tricks him to go get Harvey Dent. That's almost like you would think that's how the movie ends. And there's this moment, but then it builds up again to this climax with what you think is going to be the climax of the movie, which is the fight between Batman and Joker. And even that's not the climax. Yeah. Because you still have the confrontation then with Harvey Dent. Yeah. And this movie never lets up. It's just, it's the fastest two and a half hours you're ever going to spend watching a movie. Yeah. It's fantastic. I love all of it. <laughs> Did you have anything that you would call your favorite scene out of this movie? I Like I said, I really love that opening scene. It just kills that's, it right that's then. That's a big one. Uh, yeah, I would nominate too the uh, the interrogation room, the scene between Batman and Joker. Yeah, the way Joker just manipulates him, and it's so amazing to see because the way he draws him in, sets him up, and plays really plays Batman to exactly what he wanted. He wanted Batman to lose his cool. He wanted him to lose his temper. He wanted him to beat him, and he then he he sets him up. And, says, and I'm the line is just devastating. He's like, "There's nothing you can threaten me, threaten me with." With all your strength, there's nothing you can threaten me with. Yep. And Batman knew in that moment that uh, he he was right. Yep. And but the Joker had set him up to where he's gonna. He says, "I'm gonna tell you anyway where they are." And then he plays him one more time by saying he knew that Batman would take and choose Rachel. And there's another moment too that that was interesting is that after that, after we see Rachel dead and Batman. Uh, has that moment with Alfred where he's talking about, you know, he's sitting there in his in that chair. He's got the suit on. The, the He doesn't have the, the mask on anymore, but he's still in his suit. And he's talking to Alfred saying, I bring this on her and all stuff. Later, the next scene where Reese is being transported and Bruce Wayne decides to take the Lamborghini, he's acting like Batman while as Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And, we- and I think that was the moment where he's like, you know what? I am Batman. Because he'd been talking about giving it up twice in this movie. He really talked a lot about yeah. giving up being Batman. Yeah, he was ready to admit it at that press conference, you know, and then and two, I think Dent stepped in and said, "No, I'm the Batman." I think that what was really cool about that scene where he's going, he he uh, saves Reese, but he's acting like Batman. And I think that's in his mind when he realizes there's no way I could ever stop being Batman. I am Batman forever. Yep. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> I think too. Uh, another favorite scene, of course, would be. Just for the, we talked about it briefly already. Was the, the when he flipped the truck? Yeah, that scene is so good. That's a cool. That book. whole scene from tra- that whole transporting dent scene is just amazing. Yeah, I like that one. Another one of my favorites is uh, when Joker introduces himself to the criminals. Hey, oh yeah, hey, I'm gonna uh, make uh, this pencil uh, uh, disappear. <laughs> Ta da! He's walking in. <laughs> I love his laugh when he's walking. Ha ha ha! Ho ho! He 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 he! This is just it's so scary, man. I know squealers when I see one, and he's a squealer. He's a squealer. <laughs> Every line reading Joker has in this movie is phenomenal. There's not a single line that he speaks that's not great. Yeah, he it, he did the deserve that best actor Oscar. No, absolutely. Doubt. Absolutely, and his two the two times we try we gives two different stories about where he got his scars, which I think this is perfect because the first one you hear you hear him talking to Gim- Gamble Gim- Gimble Gamble, it's Michael Jai White, it's Spawn that he's talking to, 
who is that? The gangster is the the African American gangster. It's, that's Michael Jai White who played Spawn. I think it's either Gimble or Gamble. Off the top, I can't think of it right now. That's all right. But the first story he gives about his father, my father was a drinker and a fiend. And I just, you know, that, that, the way he uses the word like fiend is not a word that gets used very often. But he pulls it off. And he gives that story about how his father came home drunk and beat on his mother. And then he talks about his father cutting him. Like, let's put a smile on that face. Oh, yes. He's like, why so serious? And uh, another classic think, oh, my line. God. Yeah, you think, oh, my gosh. That's how he became the Joker? That's insane. That would drive anybody to madness. And then he's telling Rachel a completely different story. And you're like, it goes so well to be like, this guy's not a trustworthy person. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why lying would make that so obvious that he's a bad guy, but it really does. It makes you realize this is not a good person. He's not being honest with you. Yeah, but he's just got so much confidence in the way he says it <laughs> that yeah. you believe it. And who knows? Maybe maybe part of his psychotic, part of his psychosis is. His you know craziness is that he actually believes it, even when he tells a different story. Like maybe in that moment, that's what it feels like it was to him. Hmm. Maybe that's what he thinks. Could be. Ah, uh, gosh, yeah. His, I mean, we could go on and on. I think those some those are some great scenes. The one, there's some cool visuals in this movie too. The visual after the explosions when Batman is standing in the rubble and yeah. he's looking down. That's a poster moment. It's just an incredible shot. Oh yeah. It's an incredible movie shot of him standing there. There's so many still uh, frames in this movie that just are gorgeous. Joker in the back of the car with his head out the window driving. He's just got his, you know, just the, the, the mm-hmm. wind whip through over, uh, over him is another incredible shot. Apparently when they were stealing the, that truck, the windshield had a, a smiley face on the windshield. Oh, really? Yeah. Wonder if it was because of Joker. I didn't realize it either, but it's there. Absolutely. All right. So then, there are a couple of things you could nitpick if you wanted to in this movie. We already brought up one: that voice when he's Batman. That's my bad. Yeah. And I had should have left it alone. Yeah, absolutely. It does get a little bit much at times. Yeah, just really his way his teeth are going when he does it. You're not gonna get away with this. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's just yeah. You're right. It's a set of his the way his mouth is set when he's talking. His teeth are uh, yeah. Nobody talks like that. No. The one I had that I had because I was trying to come up with a bad. I think there's no doubt about what my ugly will be. You already know what it is. Uh, the criminal with the bomb in his stomach that's triggered by the cell phone that's been surgically placed there. Mm-hmm. That was a little much. <laughs> so. I mean, it's getting infected. He's in a lot of pain, so unless it was there for a long time, I mean, if it was there, placed there the day before, I mean, he's probably going to be just in pain at this point. I don't know. And I, could I'd you get the be. blue screen effect coming through his skin? Isn't your skin thicker than that? I mean, you maybe get like if you shine a flashlight through your fingers, it looks red. You're not getting a bluish tint to the screen when it when it comes on. Depends on the phone. Depends on how deep it is under the skin. I mean, I mean, you hold up a flashlight to your thumb or something, you can see the light through your thumbnail, your your fingernail. Okay, maybe. Just as long as it's not too deep. Okay. Uh, that was my only bad. 
My Ugly. We briefly talked about this last week. Maggie Gyllenhaal does everything in her power to ruin this movie. Yeah, overall, she's not a terrible actress. It just is not a terrible actress. This movie, she just, it wasn't. She wasn't the, the right person for this movie. No, there's no. She is. You're supposed to believe that she's at the center of a love triangle between Bruce Wayne, Batman, and Harvey Dent, Two Face, and she at no point really in this movie ever shows a believable sign of affection for either one of them. Yeah, it's a. Uh... That's a good point, yeah, because she says she's with Harvey and tells him, but you don't believe it. You don't really feel the emotion like you should. Right, and even after, at the beginning, when uh, Maroney's guy tries to kill him at the court while he's you know interview- when he's uh, questioning him on the stand, and he has a gun pointed in his face, and it misfires... And she's walking afterwards, and she's like, it doesn't even phase her. She's not concerned a little at all. You know, she's like, oh well, if you're a DA and you're not getting shot at, then you're not doing your job. <laughs> There's no real concern for him, even when he goes off after he's been arrested, and he knows and she knows that he's going to be targeted by the Joker, and he kisses her. She acts like it was in a nuisance, like it was annoying her that he stopped to kiss her before he goes off to die. <laughs> for you know. Where he could, could possibly be dying, and she just acted like the you only know, was an imposition for him to kiss her. I never bought her as being romantically attracted to either one of these characters throughout the whole movie. No, no, she, she that was not her strongest acting. No, she's just not. She's not a good <clears throat> fit. She's not. The, you felt no. Sim- I mean, I joke, you know, about oh, like even like you know that she deserved got what she deserved with her, but. Nobody deserves to to die like that. But I didn't feel it didn't wound me to see her die. I knew I knew it was important. I knew it was my you know it was a momentous occasion simply because I knew how it was going to affect Batman, yeah, and how it was going to affect Harvey Dent. Not because I felt a connection to it. I think that's a problem. That's the only flaw in this movie is the casting of Maggie Gyllenhaal as Rachel Dawes. Yeah, Katie Holmes had been asked to be in this movie, but she turned it down. For the action classic caper movie called Mad Money. There's a rumor that Tom Cruise made her turn this movie down. I wonder why. If it's I don't true. know why he would do it or if he's just being crazy Tom Cruise. But there's a rumor because they were together at this time. And I wonder if maybe he just didn't want her being, I don't know. Yeah. That was a rumor. I can't back it up. It's just a rumor. Does she still act? Does she still do anything? I don't know if she has for a while, but I haven't really paid attention. I guess you could look it up and see if she's been on anything recently. But uh, she missed out on a chance to be one of the, you know, the number three movie on IMDb top two fifty, and you know, just a an all around classic. And I guarantee you, she may not be as good as an actress as as Maggie Gyllenhaal, but I buy her in this role more so because I could see her. She's better at playing the kind of affection that you would need for me to believe that she's in love with both of these guys. Yeah. <clears throat> she was in Jack and Jill. jeez. <laughs> oh, That's a movie we'll never review. Right. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Did you have any ugly, Terry? Same same one. <laughs> same one, Maggie? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. It wasn't good. It's It's... It's the only thing keeping this movie from being perfect. 
If you could recast Rachel, who would you put in there? I think you okay. If I, am I allowed to put Katie Holmes in there just for continuity's sake? No, we got to recast her. So I don't know. I guess you could if you really wanted to, but I don't think she'd be even the best one. You know, this is gonna sound weird, and you'd have to change Dark Knight Rises. But I think Anne Hathaway would be great in that in that spot, and you could find someone else to be Catwoman. Sure. But and then again, Anne Hathaway made made. No, I think Anne Hathaway would would have been a better would have been a better Rachel Dawes than even as a than a Catwoman. Yeah, you could have put uh, any number of different people in here and it would have been better. I don't know. I think uh if you were gonna take if we were if we were gonna do that and take Anne Hathaway out of Dark Knight Rises, who then do we put in as Catwoman? Jeez, I don't know. I was gonna say uh you could even put Hillary Swank in here. And she's kind of a neutral looking, not overly attractive uh, distraction on the screen. and But still, would I think I she could pull it. She's a good actress, so that's the only thing. And so I was thinking some someone like that could have pulled that off. And Why probably would give more depth to the character. She would have been too young, though, in, in 2008. Who's that? Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, a little bit. She, she would have been a little bit too young. Uh, I mean, well, she's. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to think with of who would have been the right age, you know, fourteen years ago. Yeah. I want someone in there with some acting chops. That's gonna give some depth to the role. Yeah. Feel bad for her death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want someone. I just want someone that I can believe. I, I joked about it last week when we were sitting here. When I told, I, said, I want someone that I can believe, someone would fall in love with, and it's hard sell for me to think that either one of those guys was falling in love with her based on just her personality in this movie. Yeah, I agree. So, well, let's do some of your. Let's go on to your fun facts, Terry. The fun facts we haven't gotten to yet. All right, you had brought up Reese before, uh, in an allusion to the Riddler who attempts to reveal the identity of Batman, much like Edward Nigma, whose name sounds like E. Nigma, Mr. Reese sounds like Mr. Reese. Ah. Another great line in this movie is when Reese sits down in front of Lucius Fox and says, I want, what are you building for him next? He says, I want $10 million a year, every year for the rest of my life. And just the absolute perfect response. So you mean to tell me that you think your boss one of the most richest and powerful men in the world, secretly spends his nights as a vigilante who beats criminals to a pulp with his bare hands, and your plan is to blackmail this person? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> it's perfect. I love that it's scene. It's perfect. Because he doesn't give it away, but at the same time, right. <laughs> He's like, puts the fear of God in thought, it. Right, you've not thought this through. Uh, now, did Reese die? Do we? I don't think so. Does he die? No, he saved him. No, I yeah, thought I he saved him in, yeah. with the Lamborghini. And that was the last we saw of him or whatever. That's what I thought. And I, I'm glad because I'm glad that I, I, I questioned it because that was one of my... We're going to come back to that. Uh, yeah, okay, so more, next fun fact. This movie made more money than the than Batman Begins' entire domestic run in only six days. Oh my gosh, I believe it. 
I may have seen it twice in those first six days. I definitely saw it at the theater, and I think I watched it on HBO probably like five times in the first year, at least. I'm pretty sure I saw this movie <clears throat> twice. I think I saw it twice, like right away. Because I remember back I, to back. Back when I had DVR. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I had uh, I had this one right at the top of the queue all the time. <laughs> yeah. In high definition, on my 42 inch flat screen, and I've upgraded since then. But ah, uh, man, I just remember turning that up all the way and just getting blown away. All right, another uh, fun fact. In the early minutes of each movie in the trilogy, the main villain, Ra's al Ghul, the Joker, and Bane, disguise themselves as one of their own henchmen, and there is a conversation set about said villain in each scene. Really? So this is a Nolan thing then, isn't it? Yeah, I never really put that together, but it's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, Raz al Ghul, though, that wasn't the beginning of the movie, though, was it? They mentioned him. In a way. <laughs> All right. Uh, Heath Ledger's vocal coach on this movie, uh, Gary Grinnell, stated that Heath had to continuously lick his lips due to his prosthetic coming off whenever he spoke. He eventually made this a tick of the character as he was filming. So... He's constantly seeing him. Oh yeah, yeah, smacking his lips there, and yeah, that's for a reason, <laughs> not just <laughs> not just to put you know uh, ice picks in my ears. Ice picks in your ears? What? Uh, that that sound is one of the worst sounds in the world to me. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right, that's right. I remember yeah. that you brought that up. Oh man, uh, let's see what else we got. Heath Ledger improvised when he was start when he started clapping inside the jail cell, mocking and sardonic way as Gordon is promoted. The clapping was not scripted, but Christopher Nolan immediately encouraged the crew to continue filming, and the sequence was included in the final cut. <laughs> and it is pretty cool. It's a, it's another great scene. Oh, commissioner! <laughs> <laughs> you get the big job. All right, let's see here. Christian Bale stated in an interview that during the interrogation scene, Heath Ledger wanted him to beat him as hard as he could to get the real feeling of what was required from the scene. Now, I've read that. I've heard that rumor, too. I don't know that that's true. I don't know if he... I mean, I know that he may have said that he wanted him to, or that, that was. but I have a hard time thinking the studio is going to let Christian Bale, who was ripped for this movie, yeah. going to go and... And just start wailing on Heath Ledger, who's quite a bit smaller than him. Yeah, he was ripped, but he's also in a, a the Batman costume, which is going to be restrictive. Not as much as it used to be. <laughs> yeah, but still, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I heard that rumor too, but I don't know that that actually played out the way he was saying he wanted it to. I don't know. I'd like to believe he, it did. Makes it more <laughs> fun. Uh, according to Christopher Nolan, Bruce Wayne's reason for needing a new Batsuit to be faster and more agile, were, in fact, the real reasons why Nolan wanted the Batsuit to be redesigned for this movie. He wanted to be able to turn his head. Yes. <laughs> That's it for my facts. I uh, covered a lot of them throughout w- when we were talking. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I have uh, some final questions for this movie. Let's hear them. All right. First up. 
we just briefly talked about him a minute ago. We'll do this one because it was fresh in my memory. What happens to Reese? I think he just he, m- moves on with life. <laughs> he believes he knows who Batman is. Now, it's hard with, with Dark Knight because we do have a sequel that comes afterwards. And Reese doesn't figure into the sequel in any way whatsoever. So I wonder, I was just kind of, let's, let's, let's try to formulate what happens to Reese after this. I think Reese changes his name and leaves Gotham. Is my, what I think he does. I was going to say, because I think he just moves on with life and says, you know, I, he, I, Bruce Wayne just saved my life. Why would I do it to do this to someone like that? I don't know. I think he just grows a conscience and then moves on with life. He, he can't stay in Gotham because besides the fact that Bruce Wayne saved him, he's the guy on TV that everybody knows the Joker wanted dead. That's going to have, that's going to follow him. And I think it's going to be hard for people to see past that with him. I mean, just look at what happened to Steve Bartman in Chicago for catching a foul ball. But he didn't move, did he? He did. He left the city. He left. He got out of the city. Oh, I thought he stayed. And... No? I don't think he's. He, I don't think he was living in the city anymore. Oh, okay. I thought, because they talk about interviewing him. <laughs> yeah, he Try. refuses. I don't blame him. Yeah. Hey, what? So you think he just moved, just went on with his life and stayed there and just kind of... Well, yeah, I think so. It out. Yeah. All right. Like I said, I think he changed his name and left town. Or maybe not changed his name, but I think he left town. I think he's in Metropolis by now. <laughs> <laughs> or Century City. Maybe he went there. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. All right. No, I want to save that one. I want to save that one. Here's a question. In the wreckage after the... Uh, dist- where uh, Harvey Dent is injured and, and Rachel's killed... How does Batman find Harvey's coin? He reaches down and picks it up off the ground. I don't know. Maybe yeah, it must have I just been sitting out just in the per- plain view. I mean, it just of all places, though, it'd be tough to find, but I don't know. How does he find it? That's that a good was, question. I guess maybe, that's, maybe that's more of a nitpick than a final question. Yeah. Is it how does he find that coin? Because anything, any kind of debris can land anywhere, so. Sometimes you just right. might have been walking through and just like, oh, well, how about that? I'll make sure he gets that back. Here's a better one. That's Like I said, that's probably more of a nitpick than a final question, but I was curious about that. This one I think we'll have a little bit more time, a little bit more to say about. Did Batman actually have to take the fall in order to preserve Harvey Dent's legacy? Why not pin everything on the Joker? That's what I was kind of wondering, too. I'm like, this is all the Joker's doing, and now they're trying to make it so Harvey Dent looks like a still a hero, which you can't go back to being Harvey Dent anyways if you're alive. So, right. uh, But still. Because Dent is dead, so you don't have to worry about him messing it up. Yeah, Gordon's wife and two sons... You would have to believe that maybe he could convince them to keep the secret. Yeah. Being, you know, with his relationship to him. You have Ramirez, who, when Dent flips the coin, it, it comes up sunny side. It comes up the good side of the coin. So she's spared. She's one you would have to worry about. But there was nobody else there. And, they, and you're not going to believe Joker. He's a madman. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't know why they kind of depended on Joker, but 
it's just an excuse for Batman to go away. He wanted to be done being Batman anyways. Yeah, and I, and I mean, it fulfills the, I don't know if you call it a prophecy, but the proclamation by Harvey Dent earlier mm-hmm. on in the movie that says you, you either die a hero or leave your, see yourself live long enough to become the villain. Well, he lived long enough to become the villain, so there wasn't any changing that. He was already a villain by the time he died, so he didn't die a hero. Sounds like Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> it really kind of does. Uh, I don't know, man. I think that it was a hasty decision for Batman to to take that on. Yeah. I don't know why, but they were coming after him. They were coming after, uh, coming to Gordon's house, so they had to chase somebody down. Yeah. Why would Dent Maybe be dead? Maybe we had gotten out already at that point. Maybe word was already begotten, already, had already gotten out. Because the cops were on their way there, too. So Yeah, so, I mean, Dent's and dead. Joker's- Who killed Dent? And why'd they kill him? Yeah, that's a good point, because Joker had already been subdued. He'd already been taken out by Batman before he ever went to see Harvey Dent. Yeah. They're, right, they're so trying to cover is. their bases, I guess. Yeah. All right, here's another final question. And the hospital scene. When Joker goes to see Harvey Dent at the hospital, and he says, he hands him the gun and says, introduce a little chaos, and you upset the established order. And Joker shows him the coin and says, you live, you die. And Joker's like, now you're talking. And <laughs> Two-Face, Two-Face flips the coin. What happens if it comes up dark? Nothing's going to happen because uh, what's that back part of the gun called? Uh, his finger. Hammer. The hammer. His, his finger was on it. Joker's finger. I looked. I watched. It doesn't. It, it looks like it's on the hammer, but it's not stopping it. It's not between the hammer oh, and not, the firing. It's pin. not pulling it back and holding it. It's. It looks like he's. It, it'd be. If you think of it like this, I'm using a visual reference. He's got the top of it on his. His fingers on the top of it, but it's not in between. That hammer and the firing pin. Yeah, which is what I used to think it was. I used to think is if you have you know, if you cock back a, a pistol, and that hammer is there, there's a spot between where it's at and where it's going to go. I used to think that he did have his finger in there, but if you look at it again now, watching it this time, it's up on the top of that hammer. So, I guess technically he could have held it, but it would have been a lot harder. I would imagine so. <laughs> hmm. But yeah, what is it? What happens if it does come up dark? Let's say his finger's not even there. Uh, yeah, That's a big gamble for somebody who's planned out everything up to this point. Just another layer of Joker showing that he does not care about living or dying. He just wants to be a criminal. Do you think he just... I mean, I don't think he left himself there to die. I think he had a plan. Like you say, he does have his hands on the gun. If it comes up dark, maybe he just attacks Harvey yeah. and tries to kill him and kills him himself. Yeah. But I've always wondered, that's a big risk. That's a very risky play by Joker right there to let him flip a coin for that. Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, another thing about that hospital scene, I totally didn't mention, I didn't look up in the fun facts, but it's a well-known fact of when he goes out and goes to detonate the hospital. They're really going to yeah. uh, demo that building, and when it didn't um, instantly explode... He sits there and messes with the trigger a few times and as the Joker character, and it looked so good that they just kept it in the movie. Yeah. That was uh, 
that was definitely something I caught too. And I, I've seen it's that legend is, and he, he plays it off so good. He just, he stays in character, and it, it makes for a really cool moment. I remember laughing out loud at the theater in that scene for some reason. Yeah, because he's like, huh, that's weird. What? It's like, is it such a big letdown? Yep. <laughs> All right, this is the one I've been wanting to get to because I had a I saw a theory online about this, and I know that that uh, that Christopher Nolan has said that there was. No way he was going to address the Joker in Dark Knight Rises simply because of the fact that he didn't want a real-world tragedy to be represented in a in a movie like this. What do you think Dark Knight Rises looks like if Heath Ledger doesn't die? Well, do we still get Bane? I would imagine yes. Man, I don't know, dude. I mean... Him dying threw a wrench into everything. I mean, I mean, you got to totally rewrite the movie from the very beginning. You can't just kind of plug him in somewhere. So, yeah, I don't know. Here's a theory I heard somebody toss around that might have been a that they supposedly was one of the plans they had in an idea they had before Heath Ledger died was that the third movie was going to feature the trial of the Joker. And that there was going, you know, we were still going to get to Bane. We were still going to get to the story with uh, Talia al Ghul. Uh, but that the, the, the first part of the movie was going to be the trial of the Joker. And that was going to what, that was going to be the environment that Bane was going to capitalize on to take over Gotham City. Was that the whole city was going to be in a furor that was going to have these meltdowns over the the trial of the Joker. You know, he's going to have people that you know, became fans of him in a sense who were going to, you know, become, you know, his army or whatever. And that's what Bane came into. Okay. Interesting. I just think that it, it takes a different tone than what we get with, with Dark Knight Rises, but you don't have to have bad. I think you miss out on the almost old man Batman aspect of Dark Knight Rises if you do that. Yeah, because he had to be a lot to take on. <laughs> Already yeah. got Bane and everything else, and then Joker on top of it. Right, so I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what they would have done had had he stayed alive and had they been able to, because you, you have to bring that character back if he stays alive. There's no way you can't run him back again after that performance. Yeah, he'd be collecting a pretty big payday for it too, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that was that was all my final questions. Okay. So let's go on to our Rushmore then. Yeah. Our Rushmore this week we decided was going to be bat vehicles. Our top, our Mount Rushmore favorite bat vehicles. That includes all iterations of Batman and any vehicles. It's not restricted to the Batmobile. It's all bat vehicles from every representation of Batman. Terry, I think we have. I think we've got two the same. Yeah, probably. Maybe three. I'll let you lead it off. I'll let you lead it off. What's your first one? Yeah, just no particular order. How about I go with the one that probably the last one in? Uh, the Batmobile from Batman Forever. I have that as an alternate. Yeah, it's my last one in. 
I like. Okay. I loved it. I mean, I remember being a kid and just it was being, a cool looking Batmobile. I man. was just blown away by how cool that was with the lights on the side. They went a little overboard for Batman and Robin. It looked almost too fancy. The one right. with Val Kilmer was great. I still think though the only thing that kept it off the list for me is it's not. Uh, he's a, a, a man of darkness. He's the Dark Knight. He operates in the shadows. Darkness mm-hmm. is his ally, and the Batmobile and Batman Forever is backlit with neon blue <laughs> throughout the thing. It just like I said, uh, I, I it was last one in because it was just fun to look at. Yeah, I have that as an alternate for sure. Definitely had an alternate for that one. Uh, let me counter that with one that I think that we share, okay. and that's the Tumblr. The yeah, the Bat Pod. <laughs> no, not the Bat Pad. Those are two separate things. I'm talking about the Tumblr. Yeah, the Batmobile from Dark Knight. Oh, from- okay. Batman Begins and the Dark Knight. The whole, t- the whole big old thing. The whole Batmobile, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, it's pretty amazing, too. <laughs> I, Did you have that one on your list? Well, I had the Batpod on there. So, I guess, I mean... So, that's no, that's, that's separate things, because I have the Batpod as an alternate. Yeah, they're, they're, two, they're two vehicles in one, right? Uh, I don't know. I think... I guess if, if, if I was saying, I'd say one is... Uh, an interesting conundrum yeah but they're both great they're both great i had the bat pod as an alternate but i had the tumbler I'm a, for, for sake of this i'm gonna say they're separate okay well i like so the i have the tumbler. A, a touch more i thought the tumbler was pretty awesome though too okay so we still don't that's two and we still don't share we've each given one and we that's two that we don't share because i didn't have the bat pod i had that as an alternate so okay we're over two hmm so, so far, you've got Batman Forever's Batmobile plus the Batpod. Yep. I've got the Tumblr. Oh, we're not over 2 yet because I haven't got my second one yet. I have... This is one I don't think you'll have, so I'm going to give it next. I have the Batmobile from the Dark Knight Returns comic book by Frank Miller. I didn't even think about... basically... I was thinking just movies, man. Oh, yeah, but I, I picked that one because it's... It's a tank. It's basically a tank with a Batman figurehead on the front of it. It's got tracks and everything. Gotcha. It's a moving fortress. <laughs> well, that's a that'd be a fun one. I I, I got to take a look at that. Yeah. Hey, you have you ever did you ever read the the Dark Knight Returns, the Frank Miller uh, take? No. It's really good. It's really good. Okay. Better than Batman the movies. Batman's been retired. Ah. Uh, Better than any but the Nolan movies. Okay. It's it's kind of Nolan borrows from it a little bit. The Dark Knight Rises, he kind of borrows from it a little bit. Batman's been out of action for a while, and he decides to come back into action. Uh, even the the, the uh, Joker movie with uh, Joaquin Phoenix, that scene at the end of the Joker movie where he shoots the talk show host. Yeah. That scene. Is is borrowed from Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. I didn't know that. Also, huh. a little bit. Yeah, you'll see it. You'll recognize it when you read the book. I have it. I'll have to load it to you if I see you again sometime soon. I actually have the the whole book, the actual graphic novel of it. Nice. So I choose that. I choose The Dark Knight Returns Batmobile. All right, Terry. What's your third one? Let's go with the uh, Batmobile from the new movie, The Batman. Oh, yeah, that was an alternate for me. <laughs> I really like it. I really do. That was a good one. I like that. It's uh, it's so 
unrefined. And you can see that it's the court. He's just starting to figure this stuff out. And this looks like a souped-up muscle car with that. And you can see throughout the movie he's putting that, working on that, that jet engine on the back end of it. I really like it. It's got a cool look to it. Yeah, I agree. That's why it's on my list. For me, it's too new. I had to go with a little bit more OG. Okay. <laughs> all right. And for my third, I'm going all the way back to the 1960s, the TV show, <laughs> the original Batmobile. Those are fun. They're hilarious looking, but I don't know. I, I mean, nostalgia right there. You know, it, That's what it is. It's a pure nostalgia pick because when I was a kid, I loved that show. <laughs> and that Batmobile, I had it in a matchbox car form. I had it in a little bit bigger car form. Uh, I loved that Batmobile. And it was just a cool-looking car. I agree. I mean, if I was I if I became a billionaire, yeah. If I became a billionaire overnight, I'd have a functioning 1960s Batmobile car <laughs> with the weapons and all that. Well, maybe not all that, but it would drive. <laughs> and uh I would definitely drive it to work. <laughs> I would drive it around just to be seen in it. <laughs> all right, Terry Brown, finish off your Rushmore. What's your last entry? Well, the first Batmobile, really, I was introduced to was 1989 Batman. Yes, that's a great Batmobile. That's uh, That was the first one any of us have really seen since the 60s. So you're talking about you know of almost 30 years, 20, 25 years between Batmobiles. And this one comes out, and I remember thinking, too, what an amazing car that was. Yeah. So cool. Very cool. It did not make my list, though. No, man. Over 4. Over four. We didn't share a single one. I got off off the road on my number four. Did you go with the Batwing? I went with no the Bat from Dark Knight Rises. Oh yeah, the uh, urban helicopter, the 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 thing he flies around towards the end. That is one of the coolest vehicles I've ever seen. In a regular movie, not a space movie or a superhero movie, a grounded, realistic movie. That's the coolest vehicle I've ever seen. I have not. I didn't even think of that one, and that's a that's a good choice. Because I considered I the the Batwing and whatever you call. I it. I did consider the Batwing from the water the, one uh, too. Yeah, the Bat Boat from Batman for uh, Batman uh, Forever. I thought was a good one. Uh, and then, of course, the Batwing from the original Tim Burton Batman. That was cool because that one shot when he's flying it up into the sky at night and he goes up and it's highlighted, by, backlit by the moon. It looks yeah. just like the bat signal and drops back down. That was such a cool moment. But, yes, so, yeah, so I had my Mount Rushmore was the Tumbler, uh, the Bat, the 60s Batmobile, and then the Dark Knight Returns Batmobile. So three Batmobiles on my Rushmore. Same. And one flying machine. Yours worse, Terry. Repeat yours again. The Batmobiles from the 1989 Batman, Batman Forever, and The Batman. And the Batpod. The Batpod. All right. Uh, Let's see. I don't think we had any other. Do you have any other alternates that we didn't mention yet? No. No? Okay. All right. Well, Dark Knight finished it just in under two hours, Terry. I'm surprised. And I've been tired this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've had a you've had a busy week. Indeed. Well, what are we doing next week, Terry? I thought we'd travel back to the 1990s. In fact, we're going to do the entire 1990s. 
of Saturday Night Live. Really? Okay. So. We'll, how are we doing this? Basically, we're going to talk about anything and everything that we liked from the 90s SNL. We're talking Chris Farley, Mike Myers, a little bit of Dana Carvey in there, uh, Will Ferrell, Tim Meadows, you know, all these all these guys that were throughout the 90s. Okay. See what we can do with a broad subject. We've got we can go lots of different ways with that one. Oh, we can talk about lots of stuff. We'll we'll talk about just tons of different sketches that they did, and just a lot of them. It's basically going to be a lot of our most favorite ones, you know. And not sure what we'll do for Rushmore. We could just say our favorite ones, but we'll see. Yeah, that's what it's really going to be about. And we'll probably just take a bunch of different actors and talk about all the different characters that they did and this will give us an opportunity to look into it instead of trying to pull it from memory in the middle of a podcast like we do a lot (laughs) we do that that does happen pretty often so it'll give us a chance to really dive into it and relive a lot of the best scenes that were from the saturday night live in the 90s because that's when i was introduced to it i know you were introduced to it sooner than that but 90s was it for me, man. I was probably 90s. 90s was pretty much when I started when I watched Saturday Night Live too, because I didn't watch it a whole lot before I was in high school, and I started high school in 88, 89. So we're coming into the 90s. I don't remember sitting there watching Saturday Night Live till till basically the 90s. It was Wayne's World, I think, was uh, yeah. one of the first ones I really got into. But yeah, there's gonna be a lot of good stuff to talk about there. And I remember uh, renting DVDs. That was like the best of, or maybe VHS, best of Mike Myers, best of Chris Farley, oh, yeah. best of yeah, for sure. everybody that was on during that time. So I remember there was one that they did. It was kind of a spoof because uh, he hadn't had any like major roles in it before this. was Horatio Sands put out a best of Horatio Sands VCR uh, tape, and it was just like the scenes he was in the background of. <laughs> so it was other people. <laughs> he was just the background of it. I thought it was funny. That's good. Oh man! So yeah, well, well, it'll be it'll be great. We'll have we'll talk about guest hosts that were great during that time. We'll talk about all sorts of stuff. Anyways, I thought it'd be fun to dive into something other than a movie. We've done a, quite a few movies lately, so yeah, for sure. I was trying to buck the trend oh, no, we, a little we bit. Had, we we had some music on recently, and it was poo pooed on by Terry. So oh no no, we did have a musical podcast, and it was just treated like it was worthless by. Our own Terry well, Thompson. You say that. What episode was that? That was Striper. What well, you should just instantly know because it was the album. Well, yeah, it was fifty-three-five. It was technically our fifty-fourth episode. So that was thirteen episodes ago, or twelve episodes ago. But yeah, we have done. We I did Unbreakable Sports Records for fifty-nine, and then we've done move nothing but movies since. So I was like, I'm gonna uh, switch, switch it up, switch it up good, a little it's bit. Good call. I love Saturday Night Live, and that's, I think, for me, I'd put 90s Saturday Night Live up against 70s Saturday Night Live any day of the week. Yeah, and 70s is just dated, mainly. That's the main problem with it. It doesn't really speak to our audience. Uh, Saturday Night Live, each, each generation has their own connection, you know? Yeah. It's going to be tough. They, they a lot of people left this year. Yeah. It's going to be almost, almost all the people that you know are now gone from Saturday Night Live. Kate McKinnon, uh, Pete Davidson, uh, Keenan Thompson, still there. Bryant. Yeah, AD Bryant was one no, for a long time. I think Keenan Thompson's gone too. Jay Farrow's gone now. Uh, Jay Farrow. <laughs> it's yeah, been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. <laughs> Who am I thinking of? It's not Jay Farrow. 
Oh, is it Michael Che that's leaving? I think maybe. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, he he did a good job. But yeah, I mean, I some of them I pick up on YouTube and I'll watch a skit here and there. But you'll never see me watch yeah. a whole episode anymore unless there's something special. That 40th episode they had, the 40th anniversary, that was a good. It was like two, yeah, three Andy hours Murphy long. On there. Oh man, that was yeah. great. Imagine what the 50 one's gonna be like. Gosh, can't it's gotta be around the corner. Yeah, it's not far away. Not far away at all. All right, Terry. Well, that was a good one. A good choice. I think we'll have some fun with that. There's lots of different ways we can go. We won't have any problem having stuff to talk about. No. We can cover a whole decade, that's for sure. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, well, we want we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in with us each and every week. We hope you enjoyed as much as we do for Retro Review with Rob and Terry. I am Rob. This is Terry. God bless you and good night.